So look at your diet because diet is one of the primary things that stimulates the immune system to say, alert and alarm, we're not at ease. Stress, modern living is stressful. We're trying to deal with financial issues. We're trying to deal with environmental issues, political issues, infectious issues, whatever it is. Life itself is stressful. And what we're finding is the more stressful it becomes, the quicker we age, the quicker we degrade, the quicker we come out of a state of ease into a state of dis-ease. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Tom Maltair has made a career of examining subtleties of good health and true wellness that most don't even give a fleeting consideration. As he advocates, we are supposed to be engaged entirely with our environment. But when our environment is filled with visible and invisible toxins, those toxins become part of us. To minimize their damage, we can fortify our systems through optimal nutrition and beneficial lifestyle practices. Tom is not only an amazing educator, he is also a practitioner of what he teaches. He is co-author of three books, a pair of incredible cookbooks, and The Elimination Diet, which examines what foods might be making us sick. And he is a teacher and practitioner of functional medicine. Growing up in the Pacific surf and skate culture, he reaped the benefits of regular physical activity that connected him to his body, nature, and a thriving community. Now he creates similar opportunities for his children, and by joining them in the ocean or at skate parks, strengthens his relationship with them in the process. Tom is gifted in his ability to articulate, and thus we investigate many topics, including his 10 fingers of health, how the environment is likely causing myriad chronic and debilitating conditions, the irreplaceable role of microbes in maintaining good health, tiny food and lifestyle choices that can derail homeostasis, the value of limiting stress, and what he learned from his physician growing up in Hawaii. Tom's enthusiasm for life projects from him like a great wave of healing energy. Healing stems from engagement, from something Tom says can be as simple as receiving a smile from someone. I felt healing just from having this conversation with him, and I have no doubt that you will also. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Tom Maltair. Tom, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Hey, thanks, Todd. Nice to be here. It's good to have you here. I think you've been, you've taught at the college some years ago, didn't you? Yeah, I came in and uh, did a weekend retreat type thing. And uh, we brought a bunch of nutrition students to a little state of mind blowing. Um, There was a bunch of new data. You know, I I was going to a bunch of conferences at the time for the Autism Research Institute and Institute for Functional Medicine. And I just shared some of the tidbits, you know, that I've been learning over the last decade and a half. And uh, we had a lot of aha moments together. It was a really fun group. You got a great school out there, man. Really, really great school. Hey, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for doing this, taking the time to do this interview with me. I really appreciate it. Ah, absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. You've carved out quite a niche in, I guess I'll call it the nutrition world, but why don't I let you give kind of the elevator pitch on what it is that you do? (laughs) Well, um, I'm a learner. I'm I'm curious. I want to know how things work, right? So what I've done is, uh, you know, study a lot with the Institute for Functional Medicine um, and became a liaison for them through uh, my job at Thorne Research. Uh, so for seven years, I was part of the medical affairs team at Thorne Research. And we did a lot of product education, research design. And uh, my job was to educate doctors on nutritional biochemistry. So in the process, I really wanted to learn more about uh, a lot of different things. And uh, one of the things that kind of caught my eye was how there's a massive increase of ADD, ADHD, and autism. And I was seeing a lot of behavioral disorders in children. I wanted to get to the bottom of that. And I saw there was a huge piece that was associated with nutrient deficiencies. And at the same time, there was a huge piece with an association to chemical exposure. So exogenous chemicals coming from the environment, from the air, water, food, soil, uh, you know, everywhere from their skincare products. 
And uh, it was really weird because at the time, you know, when you're, when you're new in, in a field and you're looking at things, you know, everybody thinks you're crazy, right? <laughs> so when you start seeing these associations between phthalates and BPA and autism, or you see, you know, everybody was thinking about the thimerosal and the mercury and whatnot, but there were lots of other factors that were involved here. Air pollution seems to be a, a factor. And, you know, you, you start then interviewing these world experts, right? And you start talking to people like, I've, I've had the blessing of, of hosting the EHS, uh, Environmental Health Symposium over the last couple of years and meeting people like, you know, Fred Von Saul and Pete Myers, who along with Theo Colburn coined the term endocrine disrupting chemical, right? And you start hearing about these amazing studies that they're doing and all the pieces they're putting together. And, uh, you know, you become that quack you become that crazy guy, right? Where your friends come up to you and say, you know, oh yeah, I tried this sunscreen. And you're like, well, what chemicals are in that sunscreen? Right? You know, <laughs> I know too much about those chemicals. And did you know that you can cause hypospadia issues or, you know, uh, you know, small uh, genitalia in your offspring if you're going to be using <laughs> a lot of these chemicals over a long period of time? So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm just curious. I want to know how things work. And in the process of going deep and diving into a lot of the chemistry, uh, Todd, the amazing thing that comes to me is, is that I find myself coming back out now. I find myself coming back out from the little minutia and the chemical pathways to saying, you know what, we need more air that's clean. We need more water that's pure. We need more sunshine. We need better sleep. We need exercise. We need to watch what specific foods we're consuming, not just because of the chemicals, but because of the actual food proteins themselves, whether that's the gluten, dairy, eggs, yeast, corn, soy that are exciting people's immune systems. We need to really get back to a place of, you know, having love and connection. And so it's a little disheartening for me being in the COVID era, right? Watching um, people covering their beautiful smiles with masks and separating themselves from one another and no longer hugging and socializing. And so, uh, you know, it's the basics, the foundations that really make things um, shift in, in humans. So I think to me, that's the true medicine that, uh, that drives what I'm trying to learn um, every day. Yeah. And I think it's often forgot about when we talk about medicine and natural medicine that we are part of that nature, people. And so when you talk about the mm. contact with people and seeing someone smile and making that connection, that's medicine. That's medicine in itself. Uh, you know, there was a situation the other day in a grocery store where this little girl, um, you know, was coming right up to me and her mother says, you know, no, honey, get away from him. You know, you're not within six feet, you know, and, and, uh, this is Bellingham, Washington, right? We're chill. I mean, everybody's kids are our kids and we just love to say hi to people and hug people. And ah, man, yeah, that, that whole denial of experience was, was uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, because now the child thinks there's something wrong with them for being close to another human who would love to give them a hug, you know? So it's, uh, it's a sad thing. It's a global deficit of oxytocin. Yeah, exactly, man. As if we didn't have enough deficit to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what is functional medicine, Tom? Well, it depends on who you ask, right? I and mean, some people would say functional medicine was designed by, um, you know, Sue and Jeff Bland and Sheila Quinn and, and a few other uh, folks who sat around a table and came up with an idea to get to the root of why people were getting sick and uh, find out how we can get people better. Um, it's basically what people would cause, call, excuse me, root cause medicine, meaning you get to the root of why people don't have what they need to have. So I'll, I'll simplify it for you, Todd, uh, how I do it when I'm teaching doctors, right? Um, I've, I've narrowed it down to something I call the 10 fingers to health, right? <laughs> I actually trademarked that. I was going to write a book on it. It's pretty funny. Um, your left hand, if you hold up your left hand, you have all five fingers splayed and you start with your pinky and you'd say, well, all disease is caused by two primary things according to Sid Baker from Yale, right? He says, you're getting too many things you don't need and not enough things you do. So it's an imbalance. It dis-ease is literally something that is not at ease because it is imbalanced. But what causes the imbalance? Well, if you hold up your left hand and you use, starting with your pinky, you say, well, it's going to be diet. Diet, people are consuming foods that were never meant for human consumption. They're chemically manufactured. There's a lot of additives, agricultural chemicals, whether it's a fertilizer or a pesticide. There are a lot of things that are happening to our food supply that would derange the food to a point where our body says, what in the world are you consuming? <laughs> right? So diet can be an irritant. 
And for many people, because we don't have immune systems that are functioning well because of many reasons, chemical exposures, lack of microbial exposure at birth, our immune systems are hyper-responding to certain food proteins, right? Mm -hmm. So we now know that gluten and dairy are responsive in a lot of people and then eggs and yeast and corn and soy. So there could be in your diet, not only chemical issues, refinement issues, but also food antigen issues. So look at your diet because diet is one of the primary things that stimulates the immune system to say, alert and alarm, we're not at ease. Stress, modern living is stressful. We're trying to deal with, you know, financial issues. We're trying to deal with environmental issues, political issues, you know, infectious issues, whatever it is. Life itself is stressful. And what we're finding is the more stressful it becomes, the quicker we age, the quicker we degrade, the quicker we come out of a state of ease into a state of dis-ease. And there are a lot of trials showing that, demonstrating that. You name the disease states, stress contributes to that. So diet, stress, toxins. Toxins are interesting. Toxins are kind of the pink elephant in the room, you know? I mean, there's only so long you can go <laughs> with producing hundreds of millions of pounds of synthetic compounds that were uh, meant to destroy certain cells uh, to harm life on the planet, whether it was an insect's life or a weed's life or whatever it was, it's a cytal agent, a life-killing agent. There's only so long that you can have those things accumulate before every single life structure on the planet is reacting to it. So we have toxins, we have chemical toxins in our environment, in the air, the water, the soil, and the food that are now deranging to a point where we can predict a certain percentage of type two diabetes being associated with environmental chemicals, a certain percentage of cardiovascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, and Joe Pizzorno, Dr. Joe Pizzorno has done a great job of pointing out that in, in some of his, his work. So uh, yeah, chemicals are, are always there. So we got diet, stress, toxins. And then we got microbes. And the microbes, of course, we know them as viruses. We know them as bacteria. We know them as, as some sort of agent that would be infectious and or harm us. But the interesting piece is now, Todd, you and I are familiar with this. The microbes aren't necessarily the bad guys per se. It appears that now we're missing certain microbes. And when certain microbes are out of balance without the other microbes, that's when the misbehavior occurs. That's when the derangement occurs. That's when we have things like quote unquote SIBO, right? Small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is probably a misnomer, probably should have been called small intestinal microbial imbalances. Because what we see is you can actually feed the small intestinal microbes with certain prebiotics like lactulose, for example, change the pH, have certain microbes grow tremendously, and then it crowds out some of the more problematic microbes and then this quote unquote SIBO disappears, right? So um, microbes as an infectious agent, as an imbalancing agent, we know are things that irritate the immune system. We've known that for forever. And then the last one is interesting, it would be allergens. And allergens can be things that your immune system mistakes as foreign invaders. So whether that's going to be a food allergen or pet dander or pollen or something in your environment that looks similar to a microbial invader, but isn't a microbial invader. And at some point your immune system was misguided, started attacking that. Now it responds every time it sees it, right? So diet, stress, toxins, microbes, allergens. Those are the five primary things I'm seeing are turning on people's immune systems. So what balances, what turns off, what nourishes to a point where the immune cell isn't as responsive? Well, of course, nutrients, right? So we look at vitamins and minerals. Uh, we look at polyphenolic compounds, you know, fibrous compounds. We look at different things that will shift the actual behavior of our cells. And many people are neglecting this, you know, conventional medicine neglects this like crazy. I mean, in my clinical practice, I, I do nutrient analysis testing on so many people and we find that they have simple nutrients that are missing, whether it's a riboflavin or a thiamine or a vitamin D as most people are looking for, or a fatty acid. My goodness, once you get these uh, levels back up in a human being, you know, their tongue stops swelling, their migraines disappear, their joint aches are gone, you know, their skin gets completely clear. So the nutrient deficiency issue is massive, right? And then we have another piece that a lot of people are not as familiar with, and that's that sleep-wake cycle or circadian rhythm. 
And the sleep-wake cycle, I, I can't begin to tell you how much research has been done on this that shows you know, whether it's uh, mood or athletic performance or disease states or you name it. I mean, sleep seems to be the miracle cure. If you have a leaky gut and you get more sleep, oh my gosh, leaky gut gets better. If you have metabolic syndrome and you get better sleep, you know, the metabolic syndrome goes away. So the sleep-wake cycle, the balancing of your light exposure early in the day, late in the day, making sure you're not getting too much blue light past sunset. These are all natural components, right? We call it the sun factor, right? that have been known since the beginning of time, and yet people forget that's medicine, right? So we've got diet, we've got sleep, we've got exercise. So movement, I always find it fascinating when you look at like chemical studies on PCBs, or you're looking at you know some sort of severe toxicity involvement or uh, some derangement of the intestinal tract, and you see how either the animals or the humans get exercise and all of a sudden they don't have the adverse events from the exposure to the chemical or the adverse events from the bacteriologic event, uh, infection. So the exercise, if it's not too intense, will protect them. It'll actually help heal and seal the gut. And you're like, how's that even possible? I mean, it's exercise. But what is exercise? Exercise is movement. It's actually increasing oxygenation, right? It's increasing circulation. It's actually stimulating all sorts of different chemicals in your body, whether it's PGC1-alpha and you're producing more mitochondria or whether it's brain-derived neurotropic factor and you're repairing your brain function. I mean, literally when I was in Alzheimer's, um, you know, for a while working for a company, I, it, was, it was fascinating to me to see how much of the research on Alzheimer's and how many cases, individual cases through Bredesen Protocol and elsewhere, where people wouldn't make progress until they exercise. And then when they were exercising five days a week, all of a sudden, boom, their brains came back online, right? So exercise is a massive piece of what turns on normal cellular function and turns off inflammation. Then the interesting piece is if we had stress on this side, right? If we had stress over here, you have to do the stress reduction over here. So if you turn off that constant, you know, sympathetic nervous system response where you're always in fight or flight and always stressing out and you can chill, you can breathe deep. You can do your Tai Chi. You can do your Qigong. You can do what I just did and go on a surfing trip with your sons in, in beautiful Hawaii where the water temperature is 75 and the air temperature is 80, right? A beautiful white sand beach or black sand beach with waves crashing and chill on a catamaran, right? In the sun eating papaya. Then holy smokes, right? Your entire system calms down. You see heart rate variability, you know, changes and you're at peace. The entire system no longer responds negatively. You'll see the immune system calms down. You'll see everything changes with stress reduction. And the last thing is interesting, and that's love and connection. And that has that oxytocin that you were talking about, where people feel at home. They feel safe. They feel like they belong. They feel like they're contributing. And that state of being, that state of feeling like you have love, you have belonging, will actually shift the entire disease outcome. It will shift how you respond to your environment. So there are certain things that turn on the immune system, diet, stress, toxins, microbes, and allergens. And there are certain things that turn off the immune system and that's proper nutrition, great sleep, moderate exercise, stress reduction, love and connection. So in my mind, that's what I've turned functional medicine into. People would argue with me and they would say, it's far more complex and there are so many different things you can look at, but then you get overwhelmed and you don't take action. So if you ask me what functional medicine is, I would say it's seeing what gives life and promoting healthy life, letting go of things that take away from healthy life. That's what functional medicine is to me. Clear, concise. I love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. And in hearing you talk about that, I, I took notes, wrote down all <laughs> 10 of them. <laughs> Love it, and, man. And something that kept coming up for me was how our digital addictions are anathema to most of these 10 things. Like in, in a way, they're interfering with our sleep cycle. They are interfering with our ability to reduce stress. They're causing stress. They're supplementing in a very, I think, insincere way, our love and connection. And I think in a way they're 
either an allergen or a microbe in and of themselves. I haven't figured that one out yet, what they are, but it's they're kind of infiltrating lives, and they also seem to be reducing exercise. So that was just so, something that came up as you were talking about that. Let me give you a case study. You ready? Yes, go for it. Okay, so you know me, father of five, right? <laughs> I come <Great>. home from... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, buddy. <laughs> I come home from work one night, right? And they're sitting in front of the big screen TV, which, you know, I'm not such a huge fan of anyway. But there in the, the, the living room are four of my five children. And these kids are sitting in front of the screen, glued to it, where they've been trying to play Fortnite all the time. And they're on Snapchat and they're just like digital all the time. Well, there's so much into this, this video game, Fortnite, right? That they're sitting in front of this TV, not even playing the game Fortnite video game. They're watching other kids on YouTube playing Fortnite. So I walk in and I'm like, yeah, who's playing? And they're like, we're not playing. We're watching so-and-so. He's so good. Watch him. I was like, wait a second. Let me get this straight. <laughs> it's a beautiful day outside. You guys are sitting on the couch and you're watching some other person play a video game on YouTube? Like, yeah, he's so good. Check him out. I was like, get in the car. <laughs> and they're like, what? I was like, get in the car. Let's go. I was like, you got some money saved up? Awesome. We're going to go over to the skate shop, right? So when I was a kid growing up in Southern California and Hawaii, right? We didn't have these video games. I mean, Tari came out later, right? We had skateboards and we had the beach, right? So I was like, that's it. We're going to the skate shop. So what did we do? We bought them some skateboards and it's been 14 months now since we did that. And my boys now skate about four to six hours a day. Their, wow. their lives are completely changed. They have an entire social network around the United States uh, uh, where we've stopped at skate parks. It's been our thing now. Our vacations usually revolve around skate parks. So even though we went surfing in Hawaii, we stopped at three skate parks while we were there. And everywhere they stop, they get the Instagram accounts from these other little kids and they stay in touch and they watch their skate videos. That's what they do for, for digital now is they stay in touch on skate videos. So they're no, no longer, I've not seen them playing any video games at all. When they're awake, they're skating. Late at night, they'll connect with their skate buddies. They'll crash out and they're gone. They're in fabulous shape. They have a brilliant attitude. They're incredibly skilled now. And they're outside following the rhythms of the sun and the weather because as soon as it gets cold and dark, they got to come in. And then they crash out and they want to get up early and go at it again. That's amazing. Good for you, man. <laughs> well, just I wish it happened. was always that easy. <laughs> yeah, but... I totally agree with you. And I'm watching kids being raised by the digital age. And if they don't find some sort of outdoor passion or something that they can feel part of, you know, as, as a team or that challenges them, then uh, they're lost. They're literally lost. I mean, they just get sucked into the electronics and they don't understand social skills and cues and they don't get to feel like uh, they're part of something bigger. It's sad. Yeah. And of course we live in a digital age and that is also helpful in many regards we're sitting here having this conversation being not that far apart but far enough apart that we couldn't be having this conversation otherwise yeah, yeah. and sharing this with others and we're both educators in the online uh, platform so yes there are a lot of benefits to it it would be great i think if there was some way to dial it back a little bit and for people to realize the potential negative health consequences of the hours and hours of, of screen time and digital connection. Mm. But that's, that's just one of my, that's my little soapbox rant, I guess. Yeah, Thank no, I, I dig it. You know, the, the people power, the people connection is, is huge. And I don't know, you know, we're socialites, you and I, so we like thrive off of it, right? We love to see the smiles. We love to get the hugs. We love to feel other people's energy. We love to engage with them. And boy, to be blocked from that is just, it's painful at times. It's incredibly painful. And then yeah. we'll, to get the inverse, which is people not liking your post or having <laughs> negative comments about your <laughs> posts. And anyway, <laughs> yeah, right. I could really go down that rabbit hole, but yeah, you talked a bit about ADHD autism, you mentioned Alzheimer's. A lot of these things are, they definitely seem to be on the rise and in a significant way. I think you attributed in some cases toxins to those. What do you think's going on in, in this 
with the rise of these conditions that we have been with us for ages, but we're just now seeing in the last few decades skyrocketing. Yeah, yeah. it's impossible as genes. So, um, you know, that argument is always coming up all the time from the autism crowd, you know, hey, yeah. man, it's the genetics. And if the kids have the genetics for autism or, or I've been argued that, you know, if they have it for cardiovascular disease or diabetes or whatever, it's impossible. There's no mm -hmm. way. Genes don't change fast enough for us to have this, uh, this rise in disease. So this has always been a question. And when I examine this discussion, so let's take autism, for example. Um, there's a wonderful gentleman I've worked with at uh, ARI and, and have interviewed multiple times, Jim Adams from ASU, Arizona State University. And Jim um, has a child with autism and has been asking this question for quite some time. And he went down the nutrient path and he found that there are specific nutrients in, in the ASD, ADD, ADHD population that are deficient. So yes, there are nutritional deficiencies. But his newest work was pretty interesting. He's looking at fecal microbial transplantation, right? And he's been looking at how there are certain strains of bugs that are missing in autistic kids. It's between 25 and 40% of the regular population of bugs that you'd find in a typical child or are missing in an autistic child. And so he did this trial where he said, well, gosh, let's give uh, the equivalent of fecal microbial transplantation via what he calls milkshakes. Um, that just sounds gross, by the I way. I know, man. I know. <laughs> so That's all wrong. He, he did... <laughs> Well, he did the, the, the transplants via the normal route, and then he gave an oral route as well and um, tried to see if there was you know, comparable efficacy, and, and there was. And um, the kids who kept with those transplantations for a while um, had fantastic results, and the follow-ups now have been for a few years, and they're still fantastic. So the argument becomes that maybe we're missing certain bugs in modern living. And if you look at how we live in modern living, it's nothing like our, our ancestors. So we sterilize everything. Uh, we flush our, our bowel matter down the toilet and uh, we don't use it for fertilizers. And we're trying to sanitize our hands as much as possible. And our birthing process, when you, know, you actually get inoculated with that first round of, of, of bugs is not at all what it used to be. Um, it used to be we were in a squatting position and the squatting position had the baby coming up, you know, head up, mouth open. So as the mom was pushing, some fecal matter would come out and the child would receive a, you know, maternal fecal transplant at birth. Um, but now that we're, you know, laying on the back and in a sterile environment and they're always cleaning all the fecal matter off, the child never gets that exposure. Uh, many of the uh, children that were in the studies for ADD, ADHD, and autism, uh, the, the mothers had C-sections. So they never had that uh, vaginal bacteriologic exposure or the fecal exposure. Uh, and then shortly after that, you know, every child will try and naturally breastfeed. And many of those mothers were not breastfeeding and or they had problems with breastfeeding or the child would get some sort of infection, uh, whether it was an ear infection or sinus infection or something and was receiving antibiotics or the mom was receiving antibiotics at birth. So the big picture story is we're killing microbes left and right. We're either wiping them out via our sterilizing chemicals or antibiotics, or we're not allowing exposure to those microbes because we're doing C-section and um, we're not doing breastfeeding. So the breastfeeding itself not only exposes a child to microbes via the mom's nipple, but also inside the breast milk, there's something called HMOs or human milk oligosaccharides. And those are specifically designed to feed very individualistic uh, strains of bugs. So primarily bifido species of bug, the bifidobacter infantis. And we see that when those children receive those specific bugs, then their immune system is trained in an entirely different way than those who do not. So uh, the immune system is less likely to respond to things in the environment like food particles, pet dander, uh, you know, dust mites, things like that. And we have a lot less allergies. So the allergy quotient goes way down when a child has a normal uh, vaginal birth with some fecal exposure and the mom has had you know, very few antibiotics, the child has very few antibiotics, the mom's consuming fiber, the child's consuming fiber, meaning plant matter and not a lot of you know, goldfish and Cheetos, um, then you'll see, yeah, it completely shifts the outcome of that child's experience throughout their entire life. In fact, one more thing, 
Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I interviewed Rodney Dieter from Cornell University. That guy's a genius. But he wrote a, uh, an article in the journal Entropy, right, where he was invited to um, publish an article. He, they said, hey, Dr. Dieter, tell us what's the one thing a child can do that will shift the outcome of their immune system for their entire life. And he started writing about chemical exposure. He's like, well, you know, these endocrine disrupting chemicals, they shift immune cell function. And if you get it in utero, when you're developing, it can cause lots of problems, blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was you know, almost done. I mean, it was in the works. And then he had a dream one night. And in this dream, basically, he saw that the microbes trumped the chemicals. And so he started doing a bunch of research to determine, you know, all right, well, gosh, if, if you have adequate microbes around, it can increase your detox of chemicals by up to 50%. If you have the adequate microbes around, it can shift your intestinal barrier. If you have the adequate microbes around, you can shift your nutrient status. If you have the, you know, you prime your immune system to respond to microbes and not to other things in the environment. And he came to the conclusion that you don't really complete yourself until you become inoculated with microbes in the birthing and breastfeeding process. So he really, was convinced that it was it was microbial exposure that is probably now shifting our rates of disease. And I would have to agree. I'd have to say that's a, probably a massive component. And then I would also partner his other work, which would say that, yeah, the chemical exposures will shift how we program cells. Um, so you can pass from chemical exposure from one generation to another generation to another generation to change how a person's immune system will develop or their reproductive system will develop or their brain will develop. So uh, yeah, I think it's both the, uh, it's, it's both and, I think it's all the above. Yeah, you and Dr. Zach Bush talk a lot about the microbiome and just having that balance of the yeah. gut biome and recognizing that we don't need to wage a full onslaught when something gets a bit imbalanced and wipe the whole thing out like we do with antibiotics or we do with our obsessive, as you said, uh, antiseptic hand washes and everything that there is to get rid of all the bacteria. My kids grew up on a farm. My son is probably perpetually covered in goat manure. And I think that's probably a good thing. Right. <laughs> They're eating, eating from the garden and not washing the vegetables, getting those bugs, those healthy bugs, I think are essential. And oh, man. it's something yeah. that is so lost in, especially in the urban world where everything comes in wrapped in plastic in a grocery store. There's studies showing that kids will have less allergies and better immune system response if the parents hand wash dishes versus put them through a dishwasher. There's mm -hmm. studies to show that when the parents actually wash the pacifiers of the kids out with their mouth instead of with the sink, that the kids have stronger immune systems. There's tons of studies showing that when the kids have pets like dogs, then the dogs help build the immune system up because of the bacterial exposure. And then there are farm studies actually when kids grow up on farms, but there's a caveat, the farms have to be organic farms. Yep. Yeah. If there are too many environmental chemicals, you know, around, then it, they're cytal agents. They actually kill the bugs. So if you grew up on an organic farm, then that actually does do a great job of stimulating the immune system. You, have you read the book Epidemic of Absence by Alex mm. Vesquez-Manoff? No. Um, that's a really neat book that basically talks about what the immune system was originally designed to do. So the immune system was supposed to be the environmental surveillance system, right? And the primary thing it surveyed in its current environment was microbes. So they were originally going to name it the microbial interaction system, right? So that made a lot more sense because that's exactly what it was doing most of the time. And what we're seeing from that book is it talks about how the immune system used to be exposed to bugs and parasites all the time. And when it was exposed to those parasites, then it would calm down. It wouldn't have any allergies or eczema or, you know, anything like that. So it was fantastic. It's a really well-written book. Hmm. One of my guests, Sally Fallon, I know you know, and her, oh, yeah, sure. She's her, great. her co-author, Dr. Tom Cowan, in their most recent book, The Contagion Myth, they talk about how we always incriminate the bacteria when it's present. And yet they've, they're flipping that theory on the head and saying it's not the bacteria that is causing the disease or the breakdown. The bacteria is there as in our compost piles to clean up, 
to eat up the dead, decaying material, to eat up the cells that are dying. And it just so happens that it is there, like a fireman is at a fire, but it doesn't mean that the fireman started the fire. And perhaps the bacteria are just there to help our body remain balanced. Yeah. You know, the reality, my friend, is that, you know, there are there are many different theories of how life started uh, on this planet. But one of them, which is, you know, what is it called? Terra Sporma or whatever, where the uh, asteroids brought uh, spore forming organisms from outer space. And then that's what populated the planet. Um, the reality, however you want to look at it, is there are organisms everywhere um, and they dictate weather patterns and they dictate, you know, ocean patterns and they dictate soil health and growth and life on this planet. And we've all evolved in the presence of these microbes. And to assume that the microbes are now deranged, well, of course, if they're manufactured, genetically modified, then yes, that, that makes sense. And that's happening, you know, in labs, hopefully they're contained now, but there's been multiple threats of some of these things getting out. Um, but gosh, we've adapted to deal with them. I mean, we've adapted to, you know, have strength in their presence. And uh, we're, we're treating the world right now as if they are the end all be all, you know, thing that's going to be our demise um, instead of trying to exist in their presence. So when there's an infectious agent coming out, like we've had the cold or the flu or whatever it's been for, you know, millennia, then we've adapted our immune systems to deal with those. And when people are getting enough sunshine and vitamin D, they seem to, you know, do that better. Or when they are eating healthy, uh, they do that better. Or when they're less stressed out, they do that better. When they're sleeping well, they do that better. And it's fascinating to see all the trials coming out now at the current issues showing that melatonin is so potent, you know, and sleep and exercise and, and diet, everything is so potent at modifying immune cell function. Um, it's talked about less, but it's, it's true. It's the same thing. <laughs> Diet, stress, toxins, yeah. microbes, allergens, <laughs> nutrition, sleep, exercise, stress reduction, love connection, man. If you want to, if you want to exist with the bugs, then be the best you can be and, and they'll be the best they can be. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about some of the results that you see in your clinical practice. And maybe, maybe even you have some results with ADHD or autism through changing diet? Oh boy, tons of cases. Um, so one of the most profound cases that I thought was pretty fascinating is when I put some kids, well, number one, um, you know, I'm, I'm a food sensitivity guy, right? So people search me out for food sensitivity stuff because I wrote the book, The Elimination Diet and I'm celiac and I've had lots of food sensitivity issues myself. So I coach a lot of people on that. Um, so a lot of my cases originally were kids coming and, and finally going on gluten-free, dairy-free diets. And then lately it's more going on, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free type diets, and then adding in certain nutrients and, and uh, prebiotics and balancing out the guts. Um, but gosh, I remember this one twin, it's just not very common that you see twin autistic kids, especially one boy, one girl um, that I had. And um, I remember we had them, you know, totally, uh, jumping up in grade levels and, and uh, focus and attention was getting so much better. And they were verbalizing things beautifully um, just on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. And then for Christmas, they got some lip balm and the lip balm itself had some gluten ingredients in it, which isn't common, but it happened. And um, they both regressed and it was like night and day. So you saw the kids completely functional and then within a week's time, dysfunctional. And it was one of those things where you can't deny it, right? It was so profound, so clear that you kind of say, wow, you know, we're onto something. And it's not always so clear. Sometimes, you know, it's very, uh, I would say slow in having somebody regress back into behaviors they haven't been expressing for a long time. But this was like, you know, within a week. I mean, it was one, one well, it was actually less than it was about two, three days when we started really noticing massive differences. And the mom looks at me and says, what the heck's going on? I had another one. There's a friend that, I'll, that was pretty fascinating where she was successfully, you know, calming her autistic daughter down. Um, and we couldn't figure out why the heck she went into a massive aggressive state, right? She was throwing dishes. She was smearing. She was doing all sorts of stuff. And, um, she called me up and she's like, I, I've checked out everything. I don't know what. And I was like, hey, something's changed. It's this environmental. Uh, we'll find it. You know, tell me what you've been doing lately. Oh, I've been eating the exact same thing, doing this. And 
all right, what about medications? No new medications. What about supplements? Oh yeah, well, we started this new supplement. And I was like, cool, let's turn over the supplement. And it was like a supplement that had wheat in it out of all things. It was from a manufacturer who commonly uses wheat or wheat germ oil in their products. And she didn't even think that it could be coming from the supplements, right? And um, it, that's all it was. It was just wheat exposure from a darn vitamin that reversed her daughter from this very peaceful, inquisitive, wonderful girl to temper tantrum, throwing dishes, smearing fecal matter on the wall uh, person. So yeah, those are the kind of cases that stick out of my head, but um, what yeah. What is it about the wheat? <laughs> and, and we also hear that, you know, I know this could be a long one. We also hear, and in some cases personally experience, wheat in certain cultures such as in Europe versus North America, doesn't have the same impact on people's health. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, so there's a long answer and a short answer. Um, what is it with wheat? Um, let's let's start with the short. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, two, two factors. Number one, wheat has some peptide bonds in it that are very difficult for our own enzymes, or impossible for our own enzymes to cleave. So when you have proteins, right, which are large structures of amino acids that are stuck together like a pearl necklace, right? Amino acid sequences that stretch on for a very long time. Enzymes come in and they cleave those structures into little peptides. And then additional enzymes cleave those even farther into individual or, or uh, amino acids or dipeptides. And then you can absorb that stuff, right? If you don't absorb that stuff, then the body has a potential of you know, not utilizing it. Or if you do absorb it and it's still intact in larger structures, the body has a potential of recognizing that as a foreign invader. So immune cells don't have eyes. Immune cells have receptor sites and immune cells are accustomed to seeing certain amino acid sequences to know when you have rotavirus, to know when you have a bacteriologic infection, to know when you have a fungal invasion, so if the immune cell recognizes a certain amino acid sequence from an undigested food particle, then it will likely attack. So this is basically a food substance that is not digested, number one, and can be mistaken for other substances, number two. But there's a third thing about gluten that's wacky, and that is it has a tendency to bind to specific receptor sites and create intestinal permeability. So it can cause a leaky gut in people. So now you have something that's not well digested, can be mistaken for something else that causes a leaky gut. So you have a leaky gut that allows the passage of an undigested particle that gets mistaken for something by the immune system to be harmful. So it's just a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for an immune excitation. And is wheat different? and other parts ah, of the thank world. Thank you. So yes, it's totally different. And that's interesting because it may not be the protein structure alone. It may be some little carbohydrate things that stick off of the proteins um, that could be problematic, but we do see that there are strains of wheat, like for example, in Italy, that you'll have people will travel to Italy and they'll have these heritage varieties that are not as problematic for their specific immune systems. And people who are even celiac say, I was able to eat the bread and pasta and whatnot. Um, however, uh, Alessio Fasano, who's from Italy, would argue, and he's the guy who's been doing a lot of the research on this, um, that even though you may not have some of the symptoms, you may have some excitability and inflammatory issues. It's just uh, not as overt. So be cautious. Yeah. yeah. How did you find lip balm to be the culprit in that one case? Oh, well, we narrowed it down to what the kids had changed and they both had the lip balm and they had the symptomology. And it just happened to be that we, you know, we do reviews about what you've, you know, been taking for medication, what you've been doing for personal care products, what you've been doing, whatever. And we just happened to read the ingredients on the lip balm. So, okay. Yeah. Once the lip balm was removed, it, the symptoms disappeared. And of course, toxins in this case the wheat to, to susceptible individuals but in our body care products there are innumerable innumerable toxins that people may be absorbing and do you, do you find that people undervalue the amount that they do absorb through the skin <laughs> they have no idea <laughs> so uh yeah the body burden trials you know the toxin trials that show uh how many chemicals are in people and at what levels um yeah, they're pretty 
disheartening when you actually look at the amounts that are in human beings. I mean, we're all walking around with toxins in us. Um, and, you know, I love the trials, like Fred Vomsala did this beautiful paper where he was talking about holding on to BPA receipts, right? And how when you hold on to a BPA receipt, you can actually draw blood up the arm uh, in a time period later and actually see the BPA level increasing in the arm because you absorb it through the fingertips, right? So people don't understand that, you know, when you go into an airport or a grocery store or something and somebody's wearing perfume or aftershave and then you go home and you smell that on yourself, it's because those phthalate compounds, those fragrance-based compounds have stuck to your clothing and your skin. And now you're a carrier of those, right? So, and they can actually change your hormonal function just by being in close proximity to a person who's wearing fragrance products. So we're, we're dynamic human beings that are supposed to be engaged in our environment. We see that when we walk in a forest, for example, you'll slough off a lot of the forest floor microbes and you'll inhale those microbes. And that will actually, hopefully, if you're not in a hyperimmune uh, related state, they'll expose you to something that your body can, you know, see as safe and train your immune system in a proper way. And it'll actually build resilience over time. Um, it's, it's supposed to be that we're out exposing ourselves to sunlight and we get that radiation converting a 910 bond in our skin of 70 hydrocholesterol, turning it into vitamin D. We're supposed to be engaging with air and breathing in these fresh aromatic compounds from floral scents. And they actually then turn on excitatory regions of our brain and makes us you know, more intelligent. We actually think better. We can focus better. We, as we see from essential oil research and, and you know, the aromatics from flowers. It's, it's like one of these things in life where we're supposed to be entirely engaged with our environment. So if our environment is going to have, you know, aerosolized pollutants from diesel exhaust or, or our environment's going to have, you know, fragrance plasticizing compounds like phthalates, uh, you know, if our environment's going to have, you know, some lotion or cream that we're spreading on our skin, we will absorb it. It will become part of us. We're supposed to be engaging with our environment. So as our environment becomes more and more polluted slash toxic, uh, it's just going to be a natural byproduct that will engage with that and become that. And we're seeing that it's affecting brains and where it's affecting cancer rates and it's affecting, you know, everything you can think of type two diabetes, you know, cardiovascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, obesity. What's your take on sunscreen? <laughs> I think I know, but I just want to, oh, want to hear about it. Of course, the sun is healing. It's therapeutic. I should refer you to my brother. So my brother and I grew up in Hawaii, right? And so we were Southern California and Hawaii. So we're in the water all the time. And uh, we both got fried, but we also love to dive and we love to uh, snorkel and we love fish and we love surf and everything else. And um, he was working with a chemist who was a, a, a great diver and she went into the ocean in a place where she was seeing beautiful coral. And then she kind of passed over a place where they drop off tourists, you know, to do snorkeling trips. Mm. And she looked up and she saw the sheen on the water of all the sunscreen chemicals. And then she looked down and saw how the reef in that one area that was, you know, sectioned off for the snorkelers that were tourists was completely dead. Wow. And she was like, whoa, what in the world are these chemicals doing to this reef? So she started doing safety studies and starting to see like what would kill reef, what wouldn't kill reef. And years later, she finally came up with a sunscreen um, that's, you know, endocrine disrupting free, chemical free, that's not going to be harmful for reef. And it took her a tremendous amount of time, energy, effort, money to come up with a formula that wouldn't kill something. <laughs> so you, you have to think to yourself, well, what are all the other sunscreens doing, right? And we see a lot of those chemicals have been associated with, you know, hormone disruption, cancer rates, obesity. So uh, sunscreens themselves, if they're sun blocks, so my brother's company, for example, does a great job of producing a product that doesn't disrupt your hormones, yet it produces a layer of protection from sunlight. So you don't get too burnt. Uh, that's what I was using in Kona. What is that? Um, what is that? That's product? a sun block. It's called stream to sea. Um, but a lot of products, you know, they'll come at a cost. You might be able to block the sun, but you also uh, create some harmful byproducts. Mm -hmm. And with your brother's sun block, what are some of the most essential elements of that that allow it to work and not to harm? 
Oh, I should refer you to him because I'm going to butcher it. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. And, and I don't have any on me right now because okay. they all just are still uh, in the suitcase. So um, yeah, we could do a whole episode on that if he wants to. I will fascinating. send my brother your way. So you okay. guys continue that conversation because yeah. he's, he's been meeting with a lot of chemists and experts in the field. And he's actually met with the, you know, the government of Palau because they're banning a lot of sunscreen um, items and, and Hawaii is met with Hawaii as well. They're starting to a ban that just came in to effect the first of January. So he'll talk to you about all the chemicals that are allowed and not allowed and what's effective and what's not effective. Great. Thank you for that. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your books. The Whole Life Nutrition Cookbook, I've got to say, is probably one of my most tattered, <laughs> battered, and seasoned books because it gets so much love and use. Uh, great cookbook. And as you said, you now have also The Elimination Diet. How, how long ago was that released? 2015. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have another cookbook as well. Sorry, I don't yeah, remember Yeah, Nourishing the name. Meals. Mm-hmm. Nourishing Meals. Okay. And all of those you've co-written with your wife? Yeah, so Allie was the genius behind the recipes. I'm kind of the science geek, right? So if you really enjoy the taste, texture, uh, fantastic. If you like the write-ups about why and what, where, when, um, then you're welcome. But um, she's really the recipe genius, yeah. Yeah, it's the recipes I'm about, so. Yeah, yeah. of course. I'll thank her. (laughs) Yeah, you should. Yeah, I'll do it on your behalf. Tell me about the books. Tell me about the process and creating these and the impact that they've had. Yeah. So, you know, it was very clear to me, um, you know, I was, I was raised by uh, Dr. John McDougall, right. Uh, when I was a kid, 10 year old kid, and, uh, he was my family doctor, right. So, uh, he taught me that food was medicine and, uh, we were living in Hawaii at the time. And he showed us how people who were coming from Japan and eating a traditional Japanese diet had zero cardiovascular disease issues. And those who were coming to Hawaii and starting eating a standard American diet, eating a lot of spam, a lot of refined foods, how they would become obese and have cardiovascular issues. And so at a tender age of 10, I started seeing like, whoa, you know, this is interesting how diet is medicine. So ever since then, we started looking at that as a, a family. And then I continued on to, to school on nutrition, multiple different schools and, and ended up at Bastyr University with a bachelor's and a master's and, and uh, met Allie there. And she was very much into whole foods cooking. Her mother had taught her about eating wholesome foods since she was a little girl. So she wanted to get a bunch of recipes out. I wanted to get some information about, you know, the science of eating well. And that's where that book came from. And uh, then it continued on because we had a, we, you know, it's one of those things where <laughs> we just had some of my clients and some of her clients requesting um, a cookbook. And so we thought we'd put this little spiral bound book together and we'd order 500 copies and we'd probably sit on them for a couple of years. Well, they sold out in a matter of a month and a half, two months. And so we're like, whoa, um, there's a need for this. Let's produce something that's actually bound and ready to go. And so we did the next one and that sold out and kept selling out and it got really popular. So um, yeah, we produced another one. And uh, then a publisher came by and said, we'd like you to write a book on the elimination diet. Uh, we know you do that in your practice all the time. And so I did. Very cool. So do you self-publish in the cookbook? We self-published for quite some time. And then the publisher came along and, and uh, offered to publish for us. So now we go through a publisher. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know which version I have. It's The cookbook is beautiful. I don't have the elimination diet yet, but I'm going to get my we'll hands on that. We'll have to remedy that, that my friend. Yeah. yeah. No, it sounds like a must read. Talk to me about being dad of five that's incredible (laughs) what oh dude i never have enough time i never have enough time (laughs) i just wish i could just multiply myself because there's so many different stages of life development you know i've got this almost 19 year old and she's kind of lost in work and her boyfriend and then i've got a 16 year old who's like venturing out into the dating pool and like you know wanting to be super cool with her buddies and she's about to get her license and she's been driving everywhere with her permit And then I've got these two 13 year old, you know, guys that are just like gung ho into their skating identity. I mean, that's just their world. Right. And then I got a nine year old butterfly who just uh, loves to draw pictures all the time and play sorry and card games. And, you know, it's, it's total different levels of, of engagement as a father. So it's, it's completely and totally overwhelming. Um, But I love it. I mean, they're all unique and it's dynamic. It's changing every day. And, that's, uh, I just wish there was more of me. That's all. <laughs> Have they all, uh, well, more of you not making more kids, hopefully. No. 
No. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> have they all taken to the eating style that you and Ali have kind of yes, raised no. them with? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so interestingly enough, you know, 18, almost 19 year old, she totally is into it now when she cooks for her boyfriend, you know, she tells us about, uh, you know, what she's cooking all the time, which is great. Um, and it's healthy stuff. It's really great uh, from scratch and organic and most of the time. And then um, the 16 year old, uh, she knows what's good for her. And since she's concerned about, you know, being healthy, she will eat mostly healthy food. Um, the boys, yes, entirely, because if I'm cooking or if Ali's cooking or whoever, they get to eat what we have to offer. Um, but there will be the time when they're out with their skate buddies and, you know, they'll hit the drugstore and you'll catch a little junk food in their pocket or something. Nine-year-old's hook, line, and sinker. She likes good food, so she just eats the good stuff all the time. Do you have any advice for parents who are struggling to get their kids to eat in a certain way, healthy? Model it. That's the best thing you can possibly do. So, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Good luck. Um, but if you're just do it, you live it, you're being it, and you really enjoy it, um, then they'll catch up on that. You know, they'll pick up on it. And uh, kids, especially when they're addicted moms and dads to the foods like dairy and, and gluten, um, you know, there are opioid-like compounds are called casomorphins or called gluteomorphins that are in foods that make kids addicted to them. And they will have a heck of a time giving up their bread and cheese. So they'll throw tantrums, they'll sneak stuff, they'll do whatever they're going to do. But if you can put aside a two-week period at the bare bones minimum, preferably a four-week period where they're without gluten and dairy, you might see you have a different child. You might see that their behavioral disorders calm down. You might see that their inflammatory issues of uh, whether it's asthma or eczema or headaches or whatever disappear. Um, bowel problems of constipation that have been around for a long time, they'll normalize. So really really recognize that kids will oftentimes crave the foods that they're most uh, reactive to. Hmm. How did your upbringing in Hawaii influence your, your food and food choices? Oh man, Hawaii was magical for me. So my, you know, relatives taught me a lot and I went to a school, Kapunaho, um, that taught of, you know, Hawaiiana and, and uh, heritage. And we had a, a, uh, a saying, which basically means, um, you know, uh, the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. Um, so you really understood that the sun, the water, the soil gave you the best taro. Um, it gave you, um, you know, the, the fish in the sea. It gave you everything that you needed to survive and thrive. So uh, that whole mentality of, being connected to the land and, you know, going out early on and with my grandpa and, and, and harvesting, you know, guava and papaya and avocado and, and um, seeing, you know, where things came from totally shifted my appreciation for where food should be coming from and what makes us really feel fantastic. So it, it shifted me in a big way for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on Hawaii. I actually lived there for a season as well. And just the it's the beauty of it. The food everywhere, the tropical fruits. It's amazing. Man, we just got it's, back. Oh. We, uh, we were what island did you what island did you grow up on? Big oh, I grew up on Oahu, but we okay. were just visiting uh, Big Island, Kona side. So I, okay. I have some friends there. One friend from high school and one friend from uh, Institute for Functional Medicine. And um uh, yeah, we were hanging out on, on my buddy's farm, 6.2 acres. It's a Kona coffee farm. And he had papaya and multiple avocado trees and oranges and lemons and like, you know, you name it. Gosh, we had guava. We had lily koi every day, the passion fruit. And we would take the the oranges and, and pick my kids would pick them from the tree and then mix it with the lemon juice and mix it with the passion fruit. And we'd carry around these pint jars with us everywhere we went, sucking that down. And it was like the, so good. <laughs> it was the best, man. It was so sour and sweet and delicious. It was amazing. Uh, magical. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a bit about some of the online programming that you offer. Oh, yeah. 
So currently on the Whole Life Nutrition website, we have the Progressive Practitioner Coaching Program. And um, that one, I used to do a, a lot of live programs that are so busy these days. It's their recorded programs, so they're a lot less expensive, but people can kind of engage and see where this mindset came from, right? I walk them through kind of the 10 fingers of health style and I show how our environment has been shifting over the last few decades. And I use Roundup as an example um, in the beginning courses. And then we move into, you know, nutrient testing. We move into like, you know, vitamin D and vitamin K and, and multiple different chemicals. And we talk about uh, basically everything we're talking about in this interview in, in more depth with a lot more stories. So we talk about microbial colonization and we show the research and we talk about what you can do for SIBO and digestive disorders and celiac disease and food sensitivities and all sorts of different things. So that's a, that's a 10 week course and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. Sounds good. I'll have that in the links in the show notes. What are you working on today now? Yeah, I'm over at Seeking Health. I don't know if you know them. They're a company um, that does gene analysis. So Dr. Ben Lynch and I went to Bastyr University together, and uh, he's put out this gene panel that looks at, uh, you know, methylation, folate, uh, dopamine, serotonin, uh, lots of different histamine metabolism, lots of different things that uh, when are they are out of balance, they might change the clinical presentation of people. So it's helpful when you find kids with ADD, ADHD, autism. It's helpful when you find people with mood disorders, period problems, you know, hormonal shifts uh, to kind of determine what's going on behind the scenes with their genetics. Um, so I just got back from training for seven months, a group of physicians out in Idaho on how to use nutrient analysis testing. And so I'm partnering now nutrient analysis testing with gene testing, and we're uh, showing how we can really shift the needle for people who are having complex disorders. So if you can find what nutrients are missing, you can find what genes are out of whack, you can make a lot of good changes. So that's what I'm doing right now. Very cool. You talked earlier about, well, on your 10 fingers, we have stress as one of them and we have stress reduction as one of them. What do you do other than surfing when you can for your daily stress reduction? Skate. So, um, you know, I, I, my boys... If I want to spend time on them, I got to skate anyway, but, um, they're so dedicated and they're so inspirational to me and we, we learn together. And so if I want to let off some steam and I want to chill out, I go skate. And thankfully where I'm at right now, there's a warehouse next door. It's 10,000 square foot warehouse is not being used. So they allowed me to build some ramps in there. So I have skate ramps. And so, uh, you know, I can go down on my break and skate. That's awesome. And you get to be with your kids. I mean, what could be better than that? I know. It's, it's great. Well, thank you so much for this, Tom. Wondering if maybe you have, for young nutritionists or students who are out there, if you have any advice for them as they're beginning to kind of carve their careers in this field. Follow your passion. So whatever it is that excites you, whatever it is that like lights you up and you just go, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I want to learn more about that. Hit it and hit it hard. Go deep. Don't stop. So it's really, it's really, you know, kind of depends on what, what kind of person you are, but the early career is one that skitters about, right? So you look at one thing and you're like, ooh, that's shiny. Ooh, that's shiny. Ooh, that's shiny. I would challenge you to try and find something that really excites you and just go deep find the world's leader in it and interview them and then interview their students and then follow that path as much as you possibly can read all the research papers become your own internal expert on that subject and then find where that leads you from there and when you have a bunch of deep levels of understanding in your your field you will be able to help a lot of people and you'll be able to find employment and uh, your life will be rich and fruitful Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to do this today. Thank you for your books, your teachings, all that you do, your research. Keep up the good work. Hopefully we'll be able to connect in person soon, get you back up to Victoria sometime and sp spend some time together. Hey man, I'm looking forward to it. You guys are good people and you have a great facility up there. So I, I can't wait to come back. Yeah, thank you. Where can patient, or patients, where can listeners and potentially future patients find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah, so there's a Whole Life Nutrition website right now that you can get a glimpse of what's going on. But if you want to like really get in touch uh, with me right now, I'm still, I, 
I'm trying not to launch my personal site that I've been working on. <laughs> I, get, <laughs> I get, I get busy when I put myself out there. So, um, you know, I'll just give you an email. You can correspond with me if you have questions and that's uh, plantsrwise at gmail.com plantsrwise at gmail.com. Can I put that in the show notes? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Sounds good. And are you seeing patients? Or are you taking new patients? Yes. If people bug me enough. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I love to see the ones that, you know, are, are complex and they've not had success with other people. You know, if you're just curious and you're just starting out, you know, um, probably not the best fit, but if you're a complex person and really want some, you know, deep dive into nutrient analysis, genetics, steel panels, hormones, whatever it is you're looking for, and you've, you've been around the block, then, uh, yeah, I'd love to see the case. If you're not moving, I'd like to see if we could move you. Are there certain types of conditions or cases that you seem to be more called to, more drawn to, that you have the most experience with? Digestive disorders are awesome when it comes to, you know, celiac disease, of course, because of my personal experiences and, uh, you know, any food sensitivity response, which then leads into autoimmunity. Um, also brain derived issues, whether it's ADD, ADHD, autism, Alzheimer's, um, you know, I've had some great successes there. So, yeah, but my goodness, I've, I've seen the gamut over the last yep. 15 years. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate your time. Ah, Todd, absolute pleasure, man. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Tom Malter. For more about Tom and his work, please visit his website, wholelifenutrition.net. Also, pick up copies of his amazing cookbooks and start transforming your health. If you are interested in studying holistic nutrition, the School of Holistic Nutrition at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned programs, including world's only study options combining holistic nutrition with Western herbal medicine and acupuncture. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in holistic nutrition by exploring the amazing offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, engage with nature in any way that nourishes your soul.